Welcome to this Badger Bonus, a conversation with a special guest alum making a visit to campus. Today, Wall Street Journal Sports and humor columnist, Jason Gay. Here's your host, Todd Pritchard, Director of Media and Public Relations at the Wisconsin Alumni Association. Jason Gay's flair for humor is beloved by his Wall Street Journal readers. The 1992 political science grad still wears his Badger pride on his sleeve in many of his columns. He's also the author of the best-selling book, Little Victories, Perfect Rules for Imperfect Living. And he was named the 2016 Sports Columnist of the Year by the Society of Professional Journalists. Jason stopped by the Wisconsin Alumni Association just before his winter commencement address. Joining me for this conversation is my colleague, Vince Sweeney, Vice President of Communications. Vince is also a former sports writer for the Milwaukee Journal, Milwaukee Sentinel, and the Los Angeles Times. Tell us the story of how you got to be a columnist for the Wall Street Journal, yeah. leaving this campus as a political science major. What were the milestones along the way that allowed you to, to get a career to the point that you it's know, The truth of it is I just walked right out of Camp Randall into the Wall Street Journal <laughs> column <laughs> job, and that was it. It was yeah. as simple as that. Listen, it was a really curvy, you know, up and down kind of road. And I think all of us have those kinds of experiences. And, that, and that's a little bit of what I'm trying to talk about tomorrow, that, you know, even the best of us, even the most prepared of us are making this up a little bit as we go along. And certainly in my case, I came out of college. I wasn't somebody coming out with a journalism degree. There's a terrific journalism school here. Uh, I'm embarrassed to tell you I didn't spend any time in it. Uh, I worked in a restaurant. It was my first job out of college. I had a friend who was working at a newspaper who uh, she was selling advertising. And she quit the job. All this is true. She quit the job because she wanted to go horseback riding. Okay. So she quit her advertising job. And I said, well, advertising, sales at a newspaper, well, that sounds like a kind of job you should have after college graduation. Mm -hmm. I should throw my hat in the ring here. And I applied for the job. I got a job at this newspaper selling ads. I was the worst ad salesperson in the history of this newspaper. Had I stayed on that job, the newspaper would have gone completely out of business. They realized this, and they said, well, maybe we can make this donkey into a sports writer. You know, he doesn't have any skills selling advertising, but maybe he can be a sports writer. And that's honestly the way this happened. I got into sports writing through failing at something else. Um, had I been good at ad sales, we wouldn't be here right now. Um, but anyway, that's that's the truth of it. And, and I started a tiny little newspaper on Martha's Vineyard Island in Massachusetts, which... Uh, you know, sounds uh, kind of Tony, right? You know, mm -hmm. July and August, but there is also a winter in Martha's Vineyard where about three people live, and it's a different kind of experience. But it was real small town newspapering, and I needed the whole education. You know, as I said, I didn't have any sort of background in it. And there's nothing like, and you probably can speak to this, Vince. I mean, small town reporting is sort of the essence of. Yeah you know, newspapering, I think, because you run into the people you write about, yeah, you know, right. and you got to sort of take, you know, I don't know what your two cents is yeah. on it. Tell me what you think. I mean, like community newspaper is sort of the lifeblood of it all. Yeah, you, you, you face the people you write about each and every day. Yeah. You live and work and play yeah. with them and they're, you know, you know their families and you know their businesses and kids. And, yeah. And, all the stuff. No, it's good training. It's it was really excellent training. training for me. And, and, and I think that, uh, uh, it's a shame, actually, that a lot of those smaller newspapers are dying out. That yeah. one still actually is miraculously around, but a couple others that I worked afterwards are not. Um, but I worked still there. Reeling. Yeah, <laughs> went to Boston. I went uh, worked at a paper called the Boston Phoenix, which is like a we sort of like the isthmus. Is the isthmus still around? Oh, here? sure, yeah, yep. okay. absolutely. So it was kind of the isthmus of uh, Boston without an isthmus. Then I went to New York City. Uh, worked at a paper called the New York Observer, which is sort of 
you know, down to the rubble now. I don't think mm. there's much of it left anymore. And then I worked in magazines. I worked at GQ. I mean, you can tell, yeah, obviously, that I yeah. you know spent a lot of time at GQ. <laughs> Look at me. Um, and then uh, I was at Rolling Stone for about 10 minutes, went back to GQ, and, and then the Wall Street Journal called. And, and I candidly, like, I didn't read the Wall Street Journal. I was not in their target demographic, like sort of like slovenly writer guy living in New York who doesn't know anything about finance. I was not exactly in their, uh, their zone. That's your demo, yeah. That's not my demo. <laughs> but they were building a sports section. The paper was changing. They were building a sports section. And uh, I said, well, that sounds like a job that you should have after college, writing for the Wall Street Journal. And uh, that's what it was. I did a tryout. You ever do one of these things where like you write fake stuff oh, that oh, doesn't get sure. published. Are we talking yeah. fake news yeah. already? No. That no. we do every day. Okay. No, I, I mean it like they they're like trying you Absolutely. out. Absolutely. Yeah. Here's your facts and you yeah. gotta put them together. Yeah. And like you this gotta, stuff right. happens. Right. Yeah. Let's pretend this is running. Right. And we're gonna see if you can put the nouns before the verbs. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they did. Yeah. Wow. And you passed. Yeah, but they regret it. I mean, come on, let's face it. It's 10 years now. Yeah. 10 years is uh, coming up for me there. So that's as long as I've ever had a job, which probably says something bad about I, I, them. <laughs> I, I, I love how you talk about how you're, you're, you have – your dad was like uh, – he was a coach, right? He was yeah. a tennis coach. And, and the last thing he wanted you to do was be involved in – sports writing right yeah like he used to get the paper right and right now my father was you know he was a high school tennis coach uh and a high school teacher uh but he had i don't want to say a low opinion of like sports writing but he definitely was like there's other important stuff you should read in the newspaper before you read the sports page like the sports page should be this dessert you get after you read yeah. about world news and national news and state politics and all this kind of important stuff culture writing and he would Take the newspaper. We would get the newspaper delivered. He would take the newspaper and take the sports section out of it and put it up on top of the fridge. Not kidding you. <laughs> and I would only get it after I sort of hauled through a bunch of, like, dry as hell stories about, like, Washington politics or whatever was happening around the world. And it was a treat that I would get after reading other parts of the newspaper. So in the great tradition of children rejecting parental advice and whatever guidance their parents were giving, I turned into the very thing that he didn't want me to be. <laughs> but that really, you fell in love with sports writing, right? I mean, it, it sounds like when you're going to high school, you were reading this, you know, the the great writers of the time. And, yeah. and here at the university, you were reading those guys. Sure. And, no, unquestionably. I mean, I, I Boston is a place, you know, the Boston Globe is a terrific newspaper, and they had kind of this legendary sports page where they had all these incredibly seismic columnists from uh, Lee Monfield to Bob Ryan to Leslie Visser to uh, Jackie Mullen uh, and on and on it went Dan Shaughnessy um, and yeah just like I don't know don't they say that about like Velvet Underground Records that like everyone who bought the record started a band I felt like everybody who read the Boston Globe sports page in the <laughs> 80s that's what they wanted to do because it just seemed like the place to be um, the funny thing is that they didn't win a damn thing back then like Boston right. was just kind of loser town right. now yeah, it's just yeah. like championship town but anyway enough about Massachusetts the, the, then I got get here and you have two daily newspapers at the time the Cardinal and the Herald were both dailies mm -hmm. and and as bad as the Badgers were at sports, it was still a very sort of lively thing to talk about. There were all sorts of machinations happening with the athletic department. I didn't get involved. I mean, I hesitate to talk about some of this because I'm a little embarrassed that I didn't take advantage of it. You know, I would 
urge anybody listening who's like a student, an undergrad especially, to like take advantage of these incredible resources that exist here. I mean, the fact that there's this tremendous journalism program here and these existing papers, uh, I mean, that's just a wonderful thing. Um, I wish I had done that. Um, I can tell you all about the Plaza Burger, though, if you have any questions <laughs> about that, because that's where I spend most of my time. I was going to ask you about some of your top memories, your favorite memories of, of you know, spending your college years here in Madison. I mean, what do you what do you look back on most fondly about? And I mean, the, the I mean the, the the thousand percent truth is that the friends that I made here are lifelong friends. You know, I'm in constant contact with people that I lived with here in Madison to this day. Um, I see them all the time. We talk all the time. I know them better than I know my own children. Um, it's a little sad. We <laughs> are constantly talking about the Badgers, and I think that as time has gone on, I'm even more nostalgic for that connection. As you get older, you appreciate sort of friendships and, you know, the sort of unspoken bonds that you create. Um, and so that, that's the first thing that comes to mind for Madison, just having those friends and that sort of like group of men and women that, um, you know, I really loved. Um, I, you know, I just, the, 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 I, it's funny to think about this. And I was thinking about this as we were going through the speech writing. How did we do it back then, guys? I mean, we didn't have the internet. We didn't oh, have telephones. Right, right. How did we ever get to a party all together? How did that ever happen? Like, how did, dumb luck. I guess so. I guess you'd be like, I'm going to 423 West Wash. Then I'm going to East 86, East Johnson. Then maybe I'll go back and go to something on uh, West Mifflin. But I don't know how we managed to pack as much in as we packed in but we really did it i mean and uh so that was tremendous and then you know of course like you know i'm being a little bit silly about the academic part of it i didn't study journalism but i had a tremendous education here and i had tremendous teachers in political science and english i got into creative writing my last year here there's a professor here jesse lee kercheval who is still here at madison who was enormously influential on me in terms of just encouraging and that's a, another part of Madison is that you kind of come, I went to a very tiny high school and graduated with 50 students. Wow. There were 50 people in the elevator my first day <laughs> at school at Madison. I just couldn't believe how like packed it was and I'd be taking lectures where there'd be 700 people in it. And when you can have those kinds of connections and you break into those small classes like some of those creative writing classes and actually have those kind of bonds with students, mm -hmm. those memories have stuck with me for a long time. Jason, why don't you talk a little bit about the, you, you know, you, 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 obviously still love being here, love talking about the Badgers and follow them. And you write about them still quite yeah. a bit. Your, your latest article was, was pretty awesome. Uh, yes, to save the world, Wisconsin really needs to beat Michigan. Um, can you talk about that a little bit and what inspired you to, to write that piece? Well, it's all situational. So I work at the Wall Street Journal in New York City where I have Wolverines to the right, I got Wolverines to the left. I got Wolverines here. I got Wolverines there. They're everywhere. At one point, and I'm it so sounds sorry. like I'm making this up. <laughs> At one point, my boss, my boss's boss, and my boss's boss's boss were all oh, Wolverines. Man. Okay, <laughs> and they really liked themselves. I'm just going to leave it there. And uh, so, you know, in sort of good-natured fun. And especially when Jim Harbaugh came aboard the Wolverines, making for a very sort of delicious khaki-wearing target, um, you know, sort of took on this as a topic. I was shocked at the reaction to it. Um, I think that there are a great many people 
who love the University of Michigan. It's a massive school. It has a massive imprint around the world. But there are an equal number of people who have kind of had it with Michigan. (laughs) And I heard from both sides. And actually, over time, the Michigan people get in touch and they're like, oh, you haven't picked on Michigan in a while. Where is it? Um, And, you know, it's a healthy rivalry. It's a funny thing also because Badger people, some of them are like, wow, Michigan's not really the thing. It's Minnesota. Isn't that the real rivalry? But I think over time, Michigan has kind of evolved into a bigger thing. And certainly, you know, we've all seen how college sports have just gone bananas in the mm-hmm. last bunch of years in addition to the fact that the badgers are so good um uh you know coaches are making millions of dollars uh we're seeing just the full almost professionalization of the games here in colleges less so in madison than in other places but still part of the fabric here um so it's fun you know and i hope uh, and i think that people get that you know 99 percent of it is tongue-in-cheek but uh it it is been a real delight um to just hear from so many people who are badgers and badger graduates and especially from badger graduates who remember the last time when things were really great you know they're like listen man i was there when elroy hirsch was there and crazy legs we went to the rose bowl three times what are you talking about badgers not being so good so that's been a real pleasure too um you know all of it look you know you know what it's like vince like you know you get into a newspapers sometimes i worked at places where you got one letter a month and you'd be like look we got a letter you know so the fact that people are engaging in writing and yeah, even to tell you to you know blow it out your ear is fine yeah, yeah. they're reading they are reading anybody yeah. what do you think about uh, the rose bowl coming up here you got any thoughts on on that well i like oregon no um <laughs> <laughs> no I, I like the badgers listen it, it's been a funny season right yeah came flying out of the gate that Michigan game, I was here. One of the great experiences of my life. Really? Watching that thrashing of the Wolverines <laughs> at Camp Randall. Uh, hit a little speed bump in Illinois. Mm-hmm. Uh, hit another little speed bump in Columbus. But, you know, a very satisfying win over Minnesota to close out the regular season. Win the Big Ten. What the heck do they call it? The East or the West? What are we? The, the West. West. We're the West. Yeah, right. Right. So we're yeah. in the West. Mm-hmm. I still don't understand it. Remember when yeah, it was leaders good. and legends? Yes. Oh, my yes. God. Right. Well, this, <laughs> East and West is better than that. We get to this championship game, and I'm telling you, the first 45 minutes of it, I thought I was hallucinating. Yeah. I thought this was the greatest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I am I, like, I was like calling my boss. I was like, you're going to have to hold page one. I think we're going to upset the number one team in the country. I don't know if you t- t- shut off the TV after the first uh, half, but it, it changed. It got a little different. Yes. Um, but I think Ohio State's the best team in the country. I think the Badgers really hung with them for a while. I think they're a formidable team. I think that the Big Ten is an outstanding football conference. Not top all the way to the bottom. I don't know about Rutgers and Maryland, but <laughs> a lot or a lot of talent in it. Uh, you know, Minnesota was an outstanding team this year too. I think they're going to be very tough. I think the Pac-10 not terribly tested uh, traditionally. Uh, I like it. I like their chances. You know, I'm I'm happy to see the respect for the program. I mean, we're an eight and three club which is ranked eight in the country right now, which is a high ranking for a three-loss program, Mm -hmm. and I think speaks to what they have built over the last couple of decades here, that they know that the Badgers are not, like, you know, padding schedules, and they they play quality games, beat quality opponents, and, and, and you know, it's not nothing that they hung with Ohio State for as long as they did. You know, you interview so many fascinating people uh, in in your job, I know you probably get this. This is the obligatory question. You probably get all the time. But 
who's the favorite person you've ever interviewed, and do you want to talk about the least favorite person you've ever interviewed? Well, um, favorite is clearly Barry Alvarez. I mean, that's the person that you know I love the most. I mean, yeah, <laughs> Barry. You know, listen, he's the Godfather. We can all acknowledge it. Uh, in terms of like fascinating, least fascinating, what is the question? Who's the best? Who's the worst? Yeah. All right. Here's one's going to surprise you a little bit as far as a best. Somebody okay. who you wouldn't think would be an actually interesting conversation or funny or sort of. So Roger Federer, you like tennis at all? Sure. That's a yes. That's a very surprising, surprising answer. You look yes. at Roger Federer and you say, "Okay, this guy looks kind of snooty." Yeah, you know, he's right. like yeah. James Bond. Like, well, you know, he doesn't <laughs> seem like he'd be a good hang, right? Right, you know? right. He's surprisingly down to earth huh. for a guy who might be the best tennis player of all time. Has made close to a billion dollars. Um, he is surprisingly um, funny. Does impressions is self-effacing about himself. That is a total. He's shocker. got two sets of twins. That's like a sitcom <laughs> waiting to happen, right? Roger Federer has two sets of twins. Um, so I've talked to him a number of times. You know, obviously I have this background with my dad through tennis. That you know, that's a thing for me. So it's a real you know cool thing to get a chance to talk to the number one player in the world, or certainly one of the best ever. Uh, I would say put him at the top of sort of like surprise mm -hmm. uh, people. Um, as far as the worst, I can't say with any particular individual because I always am willing to give people the benefit of the doubt that I'm either having a bad day, mm -hmm. you know, like I'm having now. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and they just, you know, maybe don't have their game face on to be interviewed. But I will tell you what's the pit of the experience, okay. which is these scrums, especially something like Super Bowl Media Day. And for all you young journalists out there who are thinking about getting into the sports <laughs> media racket, Whatever you do, don't go to Super Bowl Media Day. There's no greater recipe for hating yourself. It's like the situation where you have, you know, there's an athlete, Tom Brady, and there are 750 people sticking their hands up like this, and yep. you can barely hear what they have to say. There's no privacy. There's no opportunity for any kind of human connection. You probably did a bunch of things like that. It's the worst. A few. And there's yeah. no content. There's yeah. nothing is being said that is of hardly of any interest, right? Exactly. No, it's this kind of like meta... Uh, commentary on society that you know you have these people who are there asking like if you could be a cantaloupe what cantaloupe <laughs> would you like to be there are people like dressed as bananas the whole thing I mean and, and I, I hate it <laughs> uh, let me uh, ask a, a variation of Todd's question and not so much people you interviewed and such yeah. but as you sit down someday with your grandkids and say the greatest athletic event that I ever covered was oh yeah you know what what are the ones that are on the list right now that okay you know game seven of a world series yeah or, sure uh, who cares about the game yeah, seven yeah. of the world series uh okay i'm not kidding you're gonna think that i'm just like sucking up here but i swear to you one of the most exciting things i ever got the privilege to witness as a sports writer was when wisconsin shocked undefeated kentucky mm -hmm. in the semifinals of the 2015 march madness um <laughs> I don't know what happened in the game after that. I just stopped watching after that. But <laughs> seeing that up close and seeing that team and, like, you know, Frank the Tank and Sam mm -hmm. Decker, Nigel Hayes, I mean, these are guys who, you know, their scrappy doesn't even begin to uh, tell the story of just they were, like, a really tight, tough team that beat just an undefeated juggernaut that people were talking about as being in this historic UCLA-esque team. And... 
I, this game was in Indianapolis. The Badger, you know, nation was in full effect there. I felt like the stadium was about 80% uh, Badger fans. And that was just a very, and also it's a very hard moment to like, you know, there are some protocol, as you know, Vince, yeah. like with sports writing, you're not exactly supposed to be up there. Let's go, Frank. Okay, let's go. So I really had to button it up. I couldn't do that kind of thing. Yeah. And then, uh, and then you know, at the end of it, like everybody's hugging and cheering and I can't run onto the court and start like hugging the guys. That would be, I'd get fired probably. Um, but that was a huge thrill. And then more recently, uh, and, and not to turn this into like, you know, tennis talk. Uh, at Bucky Badgerland, but uh, Roger Federer and uh, Novak Djokovic just played about a yes. five-hour Wimbledon final, right. which I had the privilege to cover for the journal, and it just felt like every once in a while at one of these sporting events, never a Jets game, but every <laughs> once in a while at one of these sporting events, you truly feel you are at the center of the universe. If mm-hmm. everyone on Earth could pick the place that they are at at this moment, mm-hmm. You are there. And that's what it felt like when they went to the fifth set and they went into the extended fifth set and they went to the tie break. It really felt like if anybody could be anywhere at that given moment, it would be where you were exactly at that time. And you were seeing two legends in a match that people will talk about for generations. And that's the part of the job that I never want to like lose an appetite for. You know, it's a grind, you know, and I'm sure you felt those feelings too of like, not everything is like that. Most <laughs> is not. So it can wear you down. And like, especially if I have a young family, you know, it's not the kind of life that you know, lends itself to going to 162 baseball games or six. <laughs> um, but, uh, but it is, you know, it, it, that, that, those experiences you do for free. Yeah. Don't do it for free, though. No, don't do it. Are you really looking forward to the Olympics? Is that like your next big thing that you're looking forward to? I love it. I love it. You know, I love the Olympics and the Olympics are a very sort of imperfect thing Mm -hmm. because they are this like gargantuan, like international enterprise where there's a lot of like corruption. We've had a lot of scandals, you Mm -hmm. know, both in terms of stuff that's happening on the field, but also a lot of shenanigans that are happening in terms of the awarding of the Olympics and all that stuff. However, that said, as an actual sports going experience, you're getting to see the greatest day of somebody's life every day. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a remarkable thing. You know, there's these people, and most athletes are not J.J. Watt. They are not people who are on the covers of magazines and, like, being flown around the world. They are people who are working in obscurity, who are struggling, who have second, third jobs sometimes. And to see them, whether it's just to participate in the Olympics and march in the opening mm-hmm. ceremony, or maybe they're so good enough that they can medal, it's a really cool experience. And then also, it's in Tokyo this year. It's a hell of a town, mm-hmm. Tokyo. I'm interested to see what happens with that. But you know what I'm holding out for? Mm. I just got to make sure I can not get fired from the journal until 2024. Because <laughs> the Summer Olympics are in Paris. Oh. Sounds pretty great, right? Right. But Paris announced just the other day that surfing is now part of the Olympics. So Paris said, you know what? There's no good surfing in Paris. The Seine, there's not much we can do about it. And they sent out applications to, like, or, you know, requests for proposals from, you know, municipalities on coastal France. And they came in, and they went, you know what? Those don't really cut it. We're going to do this in Tahiti. So the Summer Olympics swimming 
in 2024 is going to be in Tahiti. So I'm thinking of starting a Tahiti bureau. You know, I should probably get there soon, right? To just right. cover like the buildup and all you that. You got to establish yourself. Yeah, I yeah. want to be, you know, get right. boots on the ground or sandals on the ground there <laughs> and be the Tahitian correspondent of the Wall Street Journal Sports Department. I think that's a move. <laughs> I think that's a great move. This Badger Bonus Podcast is brought to you by the UW Alumni Store. Whether you're looking for some stylish apparel or spirited accessories, visit UWAlumniStore.com. Because when you make a purchase at the official retailer for University of Wisconsin alumni, you'll do more than buy something. You'll be a part of something, a lifestyle, and a culture that's beloved the world over. Plus, proceeds from sales go to support the Wisconsin Alumni Association and its mission of keeping Badgers connected. So check out UWAlumniStore.com to really wear your Badger pride on your sleeve. Now back to our conversation with alum and Wall Street Journal sports and humor columnist, Jason Gay. Can I ask you about your book a little bit? Because you did Little Victories a few years ago. It's beloved by readers. It started out as a way to poke fun at self-help books. Mm. But then you said you kind of, in the middle of it, it kind of morphed into... Something a little different. Can you tell us about that a little bit? Sure. Um, this is, a, you know, it began as completely as a comedic exercise. You know, this was a book that I was writing as kind of a joke upon self-help books and especially kind of the surety that people have in self-help books. You know, you read those self-help books all the time and they're like, whatever you do, don't wear a brown sweater on Thursday. And like, they're just so conditioned and right and they feel like so like perfect. And, you know, the last thing I am on planet Earth is perfect. And so I wanted to write, you know, a self-help book for the rest of us. Mm -hmm. And, but in the course of doing it, some big stuff started happening, which my father was diagnosed with cancer and which was a big blow, obviously. And he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, stage four. He didn't live mm. terribly long. It was a really rough few months before we lost him. And, you know, I'm sure you've had circumstances like this in your lives that, you know, where things happen to people you love and it makes you do a lot of reevaluation and it makes you kind of like think seriously about things you might have not taken as seriously. And you think deeper thoughts, not as glib thoughts. So I think mm -hmm. that and thanks to Dad for dying, but um, but it really sort of made the book a different book. Um, it just really was, um, I think, elevated by some of those you know experiences that I was having, and and hopefully you know, and I hear from people a good deal about that element of the book, you know, losing somebody and being able to relate to aspects of it because. You know, there's processes of grief, and this was happening in real time as I was writing the mm -hmm. book. Um, you know, I was trying to be as just nakedly honest as possible. And that's, to me, like in my job, that's what it's all about. It's just, just being brutally honest about your truths and shortcomings and mistakes and not knowing. You know, we're so accustomed now, and not to turn it into like reliable sources here, <laughs> but... You know, we're so accustomed to, like, this culture of, like, the media telling you how it is. And, like, this is, you know, you, you, what you don't hear terribly often is, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Right. I don't know what's going to happen with impeachment or whatever. And I really feel very strongly that, you know, when I don't know, I should say so. And, you know, that was, like, with the book and my dad's experience and my family's experience, sort of, like, you know, processing in real time, like, just all kinds of colliding feelings and conflict with each other. Mm -hmm. And so I appreciate the question. I mean, cause it was something that like, it started as one thing and it became something different. And obviously I'd never want to wish that upon my father or anybody else, but I think that it became a more meaningful thing. 
at least for me, writing it. You have so many great thoughts in the book. The, the one that um, I love the most is give up trying to be cool because it's a waste of time. Yeah, and, but and you're pretty cool. No, I've never been cool in my w, entire life. No, no, never. No. You ask my son, I'll say, am I cool? He's the like, glasses yeah, are pretty cool. Your cool. glasses are pretty no, cool. No, I've, I've, no, I've never been cool. Right. I've given up. Right. But I succeeded at giving up at being cool. I think I've succeeded. I haven't succeeded at not soaking my pans uh, <laughs> greasy pans in, in before washing them. I'm still, yeah, I'm, I'm still, still a coward. That? Okay. I'm a coward when it comes to washing the pans. I mean, yeah. listen, uh, you know, clearly I was lying in that part of the book because I'm <laughs> cool as hell. Look at me. Come on, folks. I mean, it doesn't get any cooler than this. I, I just feel like you need to liberate yourself. There's no sort of like stronger cultural force than the idea of selling cool, right? Yes. It sells everything. Like right. there are cool toasters, razors, haircuts, everything and there's just so much cultural pressure from basically age one my son is six years old he feels pressure to get the cool pokemon <laughs> it's ridiculous so i wanted to kind of like you know write a little manifesto telling people that you didn't need to worry about those kinds of things i mean there is a medium you know you don't want to start being the kind of person showing up in sweatpants to weddings and stuff like that <laughs> you know you, 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 a certain amount of self-care is helpful uh um, speaking from experience on you that know, one sweatpants perfectly comfortable <laughs> I'd like to ask you real quick about youth sports because Ooh. I have a 13-year-old. He okay. plays hockey. Okay. And he loves it. Yeah. But it is like cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs out there. <laughs> it is like parents going crazy. There actually is a, a new movement in the state legislature to potentially pass a law making harassment of an official a misdemeanor. Okay. Which, so... It's kind of, you know, it's gotten to that level. Mm -hmm. um, but I know you have some thoughts on, on youth sports. And it, it it's it's just amazing how parents just think this is the ticket to my kid <laughs> becoming a billionaire. Yeah, and sure. And it, it, it's just crazy out sure. there right now. And it turns out, like, one out of two kids does not make it out of the <laughs> Yeah, NHL, right. It's amazing. Are you, but you need to, are you, are you a, a crazy hockey parent? Are you, where do you fall on the spectrum so of lunacy? I tend to be very um, stoic. I only get crazy if my wife starts to get crazy because okay. I have to calm her down. She's usually like right next to me and she's usually pushing me off the bleachers. So I have to like calm her down so I don't get physically hurt. Now, do you ever pound the glass? I do oh. not pound the glass. Oh, my wife, on. no, I don't. My wife pounds whatever <laughs> object, usually me or some metal or whatever, is is nearby. Mm -hmm. So she's kind of the I'm the we're the yin and yang of of, of that whole thing. Yeah. I actually, you know what? To be honest, I'm usually running the clock during. Oh, our is that a fact? Game. Okay. Now, I'm usually like an off ice official. I'm usually running. Do you ever clock screw it up, or do you get it? Oh yeah, I screw it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then I think it's a really hard job running. The it clock. is a hard I job. Run the clock pressure. in junior high. I screwed There's up a all lot the time. of pressure. You forget yeah. all of a sudden. You forget to press the button to start yeah. the clock, yeah. and then you're usually playing. Or you get James. that home cooking going, is there, or you don't. Or, so, yeah. Is there anything in the legislature about protecting the uh, timekeepers? There should be some. <laughs> there, there might be, especially when you're playing Janesville or Bowie. <laughs> then you really got some. You got some yelling going on there. Um, well, you're right to ask about youth sports because it really is the. I mean, if I could pick a topic that will 
create a conversation or an argument or a fist fight wherever I go. It is youth sports in America in 2019. It just is unbelievable. It just seems like not a week goes by that there's not a story from someplace where there are two parents like wrestling each other in the parking lot of a hockey rink or a baseball diamond or a soccer field or something. It's just we have lost our collective minds. And a lot of it is, as you said, you know, parents under the illusion that the child will be a ticket someplace. It might not be a ticket to the pros. I think most people are at least tuned in somewhat to the idea that their kids are probably not going to evolve into Sidney Crosby, but they might think it's a ticket to college right. or to a, you know, a partial scholarship or even just admission to a good school. Um, and that might not be a realistic expectation. In most cases, it's not a realistic expectation, but it's created this whole bizarre economy of people who are willing to prey upon that idea. And I'm sure you're inundated Absolutely. with you know, the kinds of clinics and camps and video training and all this kinds of stuff that you know you could buy for top dollar to supplement your child's like youth sports experience and it's hard to say no it's it's hard when you get all those things you're like well if i say no am i jeopardizing him from you know right. being the best he can be and then absolutely you, you know. no no question um and uh, you know i look at it and try to reverse engineer it a little bit from having the opportunity to know some pro athletes who you know um play all kinds of sports and one thing that i find fascinating you might have had this experience too is that a great great many of the people who are terrific athletes at something didn't start until a little later on you know they might have played something else i'll give you an example odell beckham jr terrific wide receiver for the uh cleveland browns nfl was with the giants last year played soccer most of his life switched over to football later on became a top college recruit um a great many people who actually reached those pinnacles didn't have that kind of like giant crazy uh helicopter parenting umbrella of insanity they just had somebody you know who looked out for them when it counted later on in their lives and i think there's way too much focus upon young uh people's you know competitiveness and keeping score and stats and all the shenanigans of like rankings people you know you're ranking eight-year-old basketball players Mm -hmm. in this country um that just seems absurd and it usually has very little bearing on how it pans out but we're also the other part of it is really losing sight of the reasons to play sports in the first place Mm -hmm. Uh, my son is six so we're just getting underway with soccer and uh and and baseball he had a very funny thing happen to him in soccer. First year playing soccer, they run the table, undefeated the whole season. Wow. Not only undefeated, I don't think they trailed an entire game. They were blowing the doors off of everybody. Now, my son's not blowing the doors off. of. He's not the Leon, uh, the Messi of this team. He is, you know, he's, he's a bystander. He's a nice kid, but he's a bystander. Uh, it, the great thing about it is that the coach had his head completely screwed on straight and really drilled down to these kids that it wasn't about the winning and losing. He never kept stats. He never congratulated them on winning. He made darn sure that when they got up ahead, you know, in a big lead, that he took out the good players and, you know, sometimes through tears, which is kind of funny. But he really drilled down the correct message was that it wasn't about that sort of winning and loss, uh, winning and losing or dominance or anything undefeated, nothing. It was about the, you know, experience of having friends and teammates and being a good sport and that kind of stuff. And I I fear that those kinds of presences are fewer and far between. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, that is, you've touched a nerve there. I think that this is like probably the topic in sports. And I think candidly, people in my profession don't talk about it enough because we're so fixated on the pros and the top college stuff that the conversation is probably when you're with your friends and you're talking about sports, I assume 80% of them are about crazy hockey parents and not about right, like, right. you know, the Bucks or the Badgers. Right. It, that is a huge topic of yeah. when we're talking about yeah. things. Uh, do you do you foresee yourself becoming a crazy uh, soccer dad? Or? <laughs> I, you know, it's very hard. Well, first of all, I don't know a darn thing about soccer, so there's no danger <laughs> of me becoming a soccer guru dad. Um, but I did play baseball, and I was guilty of getting very excited when he got a hit. And I wondered about that. Like, I wondered if, like, you know, me jumping up and down like Steve Martin when he would hit the ball out of the infield was a detrimental thing. It's a, it's, it's a strange thing. I mean, uh, I'm a work in progress. Um, I can tell you that my own father, uh, you know, he and I went back and forth for years and years about a great many things, but um, he would come to sporting events on rare occasions. Most of them he just dropped me off at, but when he would show up, he would get a lawn chair, he'd open it up, and he'd read a book. And I think that is about the correct attachment for a parent to a youth sporting club. <laughs> I'd look over, you know, I'd be at bat, and my dad would be like reading like Norman Mailer or something like that. And I'd be like, Dad, are we doing this for real? And But actually, I think he did me a favor. I think that's the appropriate parental attachment to Little League games. Jason, a couple of final questions. What was your favorite food during your UW time? That's a really good question. Okay. I have a whole bunch of answers. you have another hour? <laughs> sure. <laughs> you don't, I, I mean, don't listen, think. But <laughs> I think that, uh, first of all, do they still make the taco salad in the uh, Memorial Union? Yes. They still have those? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, yep. those, those were part of my lifeblood for a good deal of my time. <laughs> Not exactly Wisconsin food, um, but, but those are terrific. I mean, like, Plaza Burger, yeah. top notch. Mickey's, the griddle cakes. Top okay. notch. In fact, I could just—I think I could just eat those full time. <laughs> Definitely uh, the French fries at the Plaza too. Dottie's Dumpling Dowry is right across the street from where we're staying with my family. I'm going to make my kids have that uh, later on today. And uh, <laughs> is the Rosino's Pizza Truck still around? Or the Rosinas, mm, you know, pizza, I pizza, know about. pizza is like you know they're like rock bands. They come and go. They have eras, right? Well, right. Back, back in the day, kids, uh, <laughs> there was a thing called the Rosinas Pizza Truck, and they were so brilliantly strategic. They were ahead of our time because yeah, now everyone's food, doing now a, food got a food truck. Right. So Rosinas just used to find the biggest party in town, just park that sucker right outside of it, because they knew come <laughs> like one thirty in the morning, there'd be a hundred kids who would be really thirsting for a bunch of pizza. So I just have very fond memories of that. What about nightlife? What are your watering holes that you... Yeah, the wa- so I like the oldies, but the goodies. I, I, I loved um, uh, uh, the plaza, clearly. Yeah. Uh, the silver dollar, which yeah. I was thrilled to see is yeah. still in effect yeah. up by the Capitol. It still has the, uh, what do you call it? The shuffleboard, shuffleboard oh, but yeah. you know, the sort yeah. of like small shuffleboard. The pub, rest in peace, that's mm-hmm. no longer. Now it's like some sort of thing with like a mechanical bull or all kinds of craziness <laughs> happening in there. I don't know. Uh, State Street Brats, you know, of course yeah. was, you know. But, but I, I mean, listen, this is a boring answer, and it's going to sound like I'm sucking up. But, like, just nothing beats, like, just a nice day, and you're sitting out there on the terrace with a pitcher. By yourself, no. Um, and, you're, and, and you're, you know, it's a, you know, it's a very warm day in Madison, so it's like, 29 degrees out um and there's just nothing beats that there's no school and i've been to a lot of them now 
nothing compares with it. It's just fabulous. It is fabulous. And it is so awesome that you're here doing the commencement. And thank you so much for being here. I appreciate Participating in our podcast. And just the best of luck to you. Continue wearing your your cardinal and white on your sleeve as much as possible. I we will. love it. Am I not supposed here. to call it red? I have to call it cardinal. Is no, no. You could, I, I was just being Nobody's official okay. on it, but red's fine too. Okay, because yeah. you know the Michigan people. They ain't yellow, it's me. I hear about that every once in a while. Uh, so it's good to know I can say okay, red. Red's fine. Okay. Yeah. I'm genuinely honored and touched to be here. I, this is, you know, it's a thrill of a lifetime to be able to come back to school and 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 to be able to speak and it just it touched me a great deal and for somebody who is always trying to be a little silly it it, it moved me so thank that's you very great. much that's great good to have you here thank you. thank you thank you you can find jason gay's commencement address on youtube and his book little victories is available in paperback on amazon thanks for listening to this badger bonus podcast from the wisconsin alumni association for more alumni stories visit thank you 72.org